Welcome to Launch Grow Harvest Podcast, Business Growth Coaching with Connie Buna and Roland Kim. Hi, everybody. Connie Buna here. And Roland Kim, how are you? With Launch Grow Harvest, your business coaching podcast for all levels of a business. I want to talk about two pretty um, key topics, certainly for me in the evolution of my life as a business person. Mm -hmm. I want to talk about investing in the right emotional experience and effective communication as two sort of big rock conversations. And if we could partner, I'd love to start with investing in the right emotional experience and understanding, breaking down what that even means. We had a wonderful conversation this week about this very topic. And I thought to myself, this is a gem of content. We should share this with other people. So can you share a little bit about what you're referring to when you say investing in the right emotional experience? Well, we all have natural responses and emotions simply because they're your go-to and the ones that you, you know, the, the strongest doesn't mean you can't work on getting other emotions and other skill sets. But, you know, to me, it means that, um, often slow things down. So when something happens, when there's conflict or something that, you know, causes emotions to occur inside you, don't respond right away with it and really figure out all the different parameters and how to control it and how to move forward. I guess, create a plan. Mm -hmm. What does it mean for you? There's so many ways that I think about investing in emotional experiences. I think about um, our own mindset. So for example, having a mindset of abundance, having a wealth mindset, having a mindset that, you know, of generosity. One of the things that I've been um, really listening to quite a lot is another awesome podcast called Think Like a CEO. And one of the topics they were talking about is this concept of a wealth mindset. I was kind of struck by it because I really, it was totally foreign to me. I didn't understand what it meant, but it was like, The whole premise is understanding that, for example, if you believe that you have abundance, you will behave and engage in the world with abundance and with an abundant mindset. And the idea of of having a wealth mindset, somebody, for example, that is comfortable talking about money, having money, sharing money, as opposed to somebody that is greedy and lives in what might be referred to as a scarcity mindset, like that is an emotional experience in and of itself. When I think about, for example, getting into business, are you getting into business? Obviously, business people are in the business to, there's a component of that to make money, but also what's your bigger purpose in why you are involved in business? So when I think about myself as a realtor, I'm involved in business because I love impacting people's lives. We play a critical role in people's lives. I love giving great guidance and advice. And as a result, I have an abundant business. My abundant business allows me to be very intentional with my my tithing or my giving back. In fact, it's something that I've built into my business planning and it's built into our weekly actions is giving back to organizations that are a part of our community and that impact us. I also think about that that an abundant business allows you to employ other amazing people mm-hmm. and pay them well and 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 um, ensure that they're well rewarded for the work that they provide you and the time that they give to you. You know, it's a very very interesting idea that if you're if you're rich in mind and rich in spirit, it actually doesn't really matter what your bank account number looks like. I think it goes without saying that it's not enjoyable 
to live an experience where you don't have enough means to put food on your table or shelter over your head. So acknowledging that obvious truth, there is something to be said for feeling happy and thankful for the abundance around you. I think very often about how fortunate we are to live in what I think is one of the best cities in the world in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. We're so fortunate to be here and live here. And as a result of that gratitude, I really think about all the ways that I want to help other people be able to live here. Um, I've gone sidebar here. You've gone sidebar. But it, Bring it me is, back. Yeah, no, the, it's, it's part of, you know, so your emotions and how you respond in your experience. But how did you get there, right? And that was positive yeah. um, mindset, positive emotions. It was taking positive steps when challenges came up. Yes. And so, you know, you've eloquently described like the great outcome that can happen, which is you created a big world, you have a big business, and now you're really able to give back. Like, you know, when we, we've just created a business networking company together and fundamental to it is, is giving back to the community every month, mm -hmm. like a, a donation mm -hmm. where if you hadn't, you know, dealt with where we're going to go in this conversation, kind of the negative situations with emotions correctly and built out your tools and learn how to navigate those situations, you wouldn't be at a place to have the positive. Yeah. So let's kind of bring it back to um, often, like, how do you manage the emotional experience when things go crunchy, when things go sideways? And can you describe some scenarios and maybe, you know, explain best practices? Oh, yes. Okay. Thank you. Think about situations, for example, where most of us are engaged to some degree on social media. And I see a lot of, you know, complaining, uh, on those forums. Lots of the same characters complaining too. And I'm thinking specifically about some of the more private groups of colleagues where we see some pretty consistent complaints. Complaints like, you know, I hate it when buyer agents don't show up to the appointment with their client. Fair. You know, you just make that statement and you can say, totally agree. Like, yeah, it feels really rude and disrespectful if somebody's just sending over their client without any heads up. And I think about it from the other side, I think about it from the perspective I've been in where, you know, there are legitimate situations where you're double booked and you really want your client to have access to that property. And the emotional experience of that of that dialogue between cooperating agents can have a profound impact on the outcome. And so I'll share one experience that I had just recently, and I think it had a great outcome. So situation, buyers looking for a townhome, you know, we're at fairly early stages of our process. They reached out to me relatively last minute, you know, sort of on a Friday, late Friday night for a showing on the Saturday. I unfortunately had already had my day completely booked, looked to some colleagues to see if anybody could support me. And it was just one of those situations where when I reached out to people, unfortunately, I couldn't find anybody to help because it is always my preference for my client to be accompanied to a showing, especially in COVID when there's, you know, a private appointment as opposed to an open house dynamic. So in this situation, I reached out to the listing agent and explained my quandary. And I just said, listen, I'm so sorry. Like it's, it's really not my practice to send clients through without personally being there or at least having an agent who's assisting me in representation. But would you be comfortable showing them through? Agent was like, just absolutely so considerate. Absolutely no problem, Connie. Happy to help you. Send them through. Text me their name and contact information just so I know when they arrive that they're your folks and I'm more than happy to help. Thank you so much. Um, you know, that's amazing. Followed up with the client, gave them the contact information, gave them the showing time, asked them to be on time. Went through, saw the property. They loved the property. I had a follow-up conversation with them later that evening. 
In fact, they want to write an offer on that property. Amazing. Contacted the realtor to ask about when offers were coming. At the end of the day, when offers presentation were coming, we were the only offer on the table. And I think about, and, 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 you know, the rest of the process was very normal, very smooth, great transaction. They bought this home. They were so delighted. And I think about, you know, that interaction could have been profoundly different had the realtor representing the seller for whatever reason dug their heels in. And we see it all the time. I've seen this comment more than once where an agent's like, no, I refuse. Or yes, I'll show this property to your buyer and I expect a 25% referral or whatever kind of unreasonable statement people make. And you could be, in fact, sabotaging your transaction And again, I think about it from the perspective of not only are you investing in a negative emotional experience where you're going to have a combative conversation with a colleague, you might actually be sabotaging a situation that could result in everybody's goal, which is a successful transaction. And I think about that often. I debriefed with the realtor after the transaction was over to say, you know, I see you on that forum. I've been on that forum and it it would be good for us to share this story of cooperation because Mm -hmm. that's what we did. We cooperated with one another. And I think about my own stance as a listing agent, I would always allow a buyer to come through to look at my property. If the realtor called me and asked me if I could take them through, my answer literally always would be yes. I'm going to be there. Absolutely send them. I want as many buyers as possible to view this property so I can sell it because That's the goal. We are on your team. Whether your team is you and your dog or a team of 10 real estate professionals, the Home Happy Team is here to enhance your client's experience. We take care of the financing side of the real estate equation, reducing their stress through a team approach of experience, technology, and communication. Your client experiences a lot when buying a home. Make sure it's a great one they will remember by introducing them to Michael Lloyd and the Home Happy team for their mortgage needs. Yeah, and I think with the emotions, there's always always an action and there's going to be a reaction. And if you take the approach of just assume that the the people on the other side are doing things correctly versus assuming or you know visualizing what they've done wrong. Yes. So for example is I have had my own clients reach out to a listing agent and schedule a showing and without my knowledge and you know that listing agent felt like yep. um they were bamboozled. Mm-hmm. Um so it can happen. And so when we're in a situation where if a, if a consumer reaches out to us and later a realtor is attached to that consumer, we don't care because we assume it was a mistake. There are other people that take the idea that the buyer's agent has a practice of doing that, of just sending their clients and that they're lazy. And so what helps me is there's no value in me investing energy into the what ifs of an emotion attached to if the other side isn't doing their job. So if you always take the approach that the other side is doing the best they can and what's currently happening, how do I deal with it? Mm -hmm. So for example, you know, in every situation, there's different options that you have. And similar to you, like I recently had a, a interaction where I had a client want to look at a house on, you know, like let's say Sunday or Friday night. I was same as you. I wasn't able to do it. I wasn't able to get support. And so I reached out to the listing agent and asked, you know, is it okay if my client comes through at such and such time? And, you know, they they certainly were open to it, but I could also sense that it felt heavy on them. 
my client the next day shows up is is texting me that they're going to be five minutes late and you know seven minutes later they're like i'm parking the listing agent at that point you know is texting me saying they're not here i have really said they need to be on time mm. i'm leaving now mm. and i said okay like i promise my folks are parking but i understand if you need to go you need to go thanks again for setting it up i apologize and then I text my client and I say, um, you know, it appears that it's not going to, the timing's not going to work out. Feel free to walk to the front door. You never know if you can catch the person. The listing agent texts me back saying, you know, um, thanks for nothing. Like, this is exactly the reason why I never show properties to buyers who are unaccompanied by a buyer agent, because it never, ever works out and they always cancel or don't show up. Mm. And so I certainly wasn't going to get caught up in that emotion. I certainly wasn't going to tell that agent who, from my own experience that I know, you know, is less than two years in the business that, you know, has done deals, but um, I've been part of a thousand deals. Mm -hmm. And so I wasn't going to lean into, you know, into that part and more. But at the same time, I wanted to help them instead of just letting it slide. So I said, I disagree with you. I have done countless deals where the buyer comes unrepresented and I have had dozens upon dozens of appointments that never showed where a buyer's agent was with their buyer or where they were dramatically late. Yeah, it happens. It happens. Anyway, so that listing agent did text me back saying, you know, I, I can go back to the front door. And so they went back to the front door. They showed the agent or my client through. And, you know, sometimes it happens. My client wanted to buy the house. We put a deal together. And later that uh, listing agent did apologize on, you know, they felt that they were being crunchy. Mm -hmm. And power to them because they recognized that they probably weren't their best self. Mm -hmm. And they let their emotions get in the way. And it's just such an interesting and important piece to think about. The idea of allowing your emotional reaction to a situation to tarnish a negotiation or tarnish an experience that in the end, in both of our situations, resulted in a successful outcome for our clients, which is really, that's our goal. And thinking about investing in the right emotional experience has me thinking also about all of the ways that we engage, thinking about the ways that we sometimes need to be, for example, sounding boards to our clients who may feel heightened emotion and stress through the course of a transaction and how our ability to maintain professionalism and neutrality can help them. We can be that sort of calm in the storm to support them through their transactions. I also think about the idea of being invested in the right emotional experience as it relates to setting a good example for our colleagues around us you know, we've all had the situation where, you know, it's okay to feel frustrated and it's there's a time and place to want to vent. Mm -hmm. But it's really important to remember where we're doing this, who our audience is and what our hopeful outcome is. What's that saying you have that it's like your cells are eavesdropping in on your thoughts? Yes. So it's sort of a thing It's a that's a bold law that essentially the premise of that statement is that, you know, if you believe... If you go into something with a mindset that it's going to be frustrating, that it's going to be unprofessional, you are creating that reality and you're walking into that set that you have created in your own mind. It's similar to my tangent around having a, a mindset of, of abundance and or wealth where it may not necessarily be 
your reality right now, but it's where you're going. It's like having a mindset for us that are committed to having good habits, like, you know, having a, a mindset of health and wellness, of saying, you know what? I am a person that cares about my well-being. I pay attention to my well-being. And as a result, I I make good decisions, small decisions and big decisions around my wellness and my well-being. I think, you know, really making sure that you're committing and investing in the right emotional experiences is a massive impact on your life and your experiences And there's opportunities there. There's opportunities to reflect on, you know, negotiations, for example, or transactions that went sideways. There's opportunities to think about of transactions that were really successful. And what did you do? How did you set the stage? How did you how did you set the foundation there such that you built that trust and confidence with clients and, you know, conveyed trust and confidence to your cooperating partners and the transaction was smooth? Yeah, it could be as simple as, you know, finding something that resonates with you and that brings out the best in you. Mm -hmm. So for me, what that is, whenever I find myself, and it's totally normal that when something happens and it gets a little bit crunchy, you're going to feel emotions from your perspective and you want to, it's human, you want to tell someone, first of all, do never, you know, divulge something in an email and social media and really limit the amount of venting you need to do with your peers because as you've touched on, it's wasted energy. There's a degree of banter amongst friends that helps you vent, but often venting goes into, you know, it's kind of like the analogy I have with junk food. A small amount of junk food is satisfying and, you know, you really enjoyed those chips. Mm -hmm. But if you ate the whole bag and you didn't put it in a bowl, the last three quarters of the bag, you're not enjoying proportionally more. In fact, now you finish, you know, all that venting in the venting case with emotions or the bag of chips and you're actually more dissatisfied. You've wasted time, you've gained calories, you know, in an emotional sense, you've wasted time, you've you've vented, but you haven't made any progress. And what you focus on expands. You know, you are focusing on negativity and therefore negativity is continuing to show up in your life. And there's something to be said for that. Like I am I am someone that believes that mindset is probably one of the most powerful things you control. It's something that I know for myself comes naturally. I am an optimist. I always have been in my conscious awareness as an adult. And and it's something that actually now that I recognize, I feed it. And I try to grow that uh, muscle in my body, in my brain. And it's the idea of, for example, if you go into an interaction thinking all of your cooperating agents are quote-unquote idiots. Everybody I deal with is a quote-unquote idiot. You know those people Mm -hmm. where everybody they interact with is somehow lesser than or frustrating or stupid or whatever. And it's like, hmm, who's the common denominator here? Yeah. Right? Like you are creating this environment around you where in fact, when you look around, we could say, you know, there are actually lots of great professionals around us. And every interaction that you have with somebody is an opportunity to, you know, elevate yourself, elevate them, learn something new, create a positive outcome, you know, deepen potentially a professional relationship um, and, and ultimately and the ultimate goal being create a great outcome for your clients. So you're a natural optimist. I'm not. And so for all the people that are out there, they're like, that sounds great, but how do I get there? Like, it seems I would bring it back to figure something out that you can visualize that works for you. And so for me, I completely believe in win-win relationships, but I feel in fairness, right? And in like, um, I almost see myself as a regulator, like back in the Western, a sheriff. But, you know, equal is not always the right answer. 
Okay. And being right is not always right. Yes. And so the way I control that emotion inside of me, because I sometimes want to, you know, go get my pound of flesh to make sure that mm. it's fair, mm -hmm. but it doesn't really help me at the end. And it didn't, the person didn't learn. And so I'm only concerned about myself and the people that I'm teaching and helping. And not everyone's my child. I can't fix everyone. And so the, huge, powerful point. Yeah. Go back to that after. But the way I do that for me is I visualize whenever I'm in a crunchy situation, with a realtor or something where I don't, it's not my responsibility, but I'm involved in it. I visualize what if the person I'm in conflict with right now, or we're not in conflict, but we're in a conflict situation, yep. is the listing agent um, in three days on a property, I have a client that is perfect for them, multiple mm -hmm. offer situation. And what it allows me to do is become my best self. And so an easy example of it recently would be, um, I had a contract in it. It did say we were listing side that it would be professionally carpet cleaned and my client didn't do it. My client actually carpet cleaned before we stayed yes. and they thought that was sufficient. And so, you know, it was a really busy day. It was a Friday. Some realtors might've taken the perspective of, you know, it's not my problem. You know, I'll just delay and it'll go away. Mm -hmm. When I take the mindset that this buyer's agent is going to be potentially the decision maker, whether my future client gets the next sale, it allows me to take the right approach, which is, you know what? It's not the buyer's fault. It's not the buyer's agent's fault. If my seller doesn't want to rec you know, rectify it and fix it, mm -hmm. um, I'm the last option yep. to make the experience positive. Mm -hmm. And honestly, like $300 worth of carpet cleaning, Yes, I would, not that you can, but I would pay $300 to win any multiple bid situation. Yep. And now I have an advocate on the buyer's side because they know that agent knows I went out of pocket mm -hmm. and it helped me make the right decision. Mm -hmm. And it's not always going into your pocketbook. It's not always spending money, yes. but it's you know often doing something that you feel is not your requirement. It's yes. not your fault. Yes. But if you can solve the problem and in the future, it usually comes back to you. Yes. You know, you touched on something and I'd love for you to expand on this, but you know, the analogy of I'm not your parent, it's not my job to teach you how to behave. Yeah. And that's a really, really powerful lesson because I think that part of what happens when folks are engaging with another professional and they're feeling like it's lesser than, like they're being disrespected, like the other person is not holding up their end of the bargain, we feel like we want to teach them a lesson. And that might be coming actually from a place of frustration and anger and a really, really powerful discovery and place to kind of sit in is it's number one, it's not your job, Like you've said that so saliently, you know, it's, and I think that if you can really believe that at your core as a professional, you know, there's, there are people that are unfortunately rude, mm -hmm. disrespectful, unprofessional, sloppy. sloppy. And you control your emotions. You control how you're reacting to that exchange. And so if you can, again, for your own self, neutralize your response. And I know for myself, I'm, I'm a fiery Italian. I get very <laughs> fired up. Yeah, Not ashamed to say that. But what I've been working on for myself is allowing myself to feel that emotion, which comes to me very naturally. You know, I can have a very immediate, you know, I go from zero to 10 response. And what parenting has taught me as powerful lessons is I never, ever make great parenting decisions when I'm enraged. Mm -hmm. Like it's never going to be a positive outcome. 
My tone is going to be crappy. I'm not going to be sending the right message to my child. And similarly with colleagues, if I'm responding, engaging from a place of anger and frustration, there is no way that we're heading toward a good solution or resolution. So working to neutralize, control my emotional experience, neutralize my emotional experience, ensure that it's directed in the right way. The other thing that I think about as it relates to that scenario is like, is it helpful for my client? Like if I start engaging in a battle here and I create a scenario where I'm in a combative dynamic now with a, a listing agent or a buying agent, have I helped anyone? It might feel good for me to be angry and vent, but I'm not actually solving anything. Yeah, and I think that's key. Like, you know, a good experience I can visualize is, um, you know, recently I did a transaction with one of the most sloppy buyer's agent ever. And if they were a buyer's agent in our office, I would have picked more battles in the good sense, more opportunities to teach them, right? Because it's like, I don't want someone from our brokerage representing the way that this person did. Yes. But since they weren't from my brokerage, I was concerned about protecting my client only because they had so many problems going on and so much sloppiness. They're not my child. I'm not going to pick that battle to retrain them. Like mm -hmm. they're so far, they need a lot of help. And there were certain things I had a line in the sand that I had to follow. Like when they wanted to, you know, not follow the timeline of, of negotiations and resurrect dead contracts and not do the right addendums. And, you know, they sent me addendums with complete new information saying you're going to replace the roof that we had never talked about. Obviously, then I engage in that emotion required to deal with it. But when they threw jabs at, you know, in conversation or in text or when they were sloppy and, uh, you know, not including the right items, instead of saying you can't have those because you didn't include them, I just, you know, move the process forward to get them out of the transaction and make yeah. the client happy. And so yeah. you pick and choose if it's if it's relevant to your client, if, it, if it's important to your client, then get engaged in the right way. Yes. And otherwise ask yourself, same way as, you know, for those folks of you listening that have kids, when you have a play date with your kid, you know, that the other birthday party, the other kids that come there, you certainly won't let them pick up a knife and run across the room. That's a line in the sand. But you may let them get away with things that you wouldn't let your kid get away with mm -hmm. because they're not your kid. You're not there with them all the time. You can't retool them. Yes. It's someone else's responsibility. Yes. So pick the right emotions. So, so important. And, and even in thinking about regulation of emotion and engaging in dialogue, I think about effective communication, yeah. right? So the other huge piece to our roles as business people is ensuring that our communication is accurate and that we're actually using the correct forum of communication for engagement. So, you know, for example, communication face-to-face, -face, we know time and time again, it's been studied and it's been proven Face-to-face -face communication is the most powerful and important form of communication. So whenever possible, it's important to be getting face-to-face -face with your clients, your colleagues, and your cooperating partners so that when you are having conversations, that is communicated not only verbally through your words, but visually through your body language and all of the other nonverbal cues that we take in our communication styles. We want to provide clear information when we're communicating. So, you know, again, I think if you're thinking about coupling these two big concepts together, if we remove emotion from a situation and we can just get really clear and to the point, often we can communicate effectively. I've taken, for example, I communicate in bullet points 
I find personally it a very easy way for me to digest information and an easy way to convey information. I've received information in alternative ways. For example, clients or cooperating partners that send you big emails with tons of information kind of all jumbled into one paragraph, which personally I find to be very, very confusing and hard to understand. And so, you know, making sure that we're providing clear information in our communications as I mentioned previously, combining that verbal and nonverbal communication, a critical component. So I know for myself, when you sort, for example, as a business person, when you feel like something is going sideways, it should be your first clue to book an appointment face to face. You know, if something is going sideways with a client where you feel like you're seeing the writing on the wall, that they're not happy, something is shifted in their energy and their communication it's time to book an appointment for connection and it's time to get face-to-face. One other thing that we often miss as well in communications is that we're speaking but not listening. And are we listening to actually hear what the other party has to say or am I just leaving a pause for you to say your piece while thinking about what I want to say next? You know, that's a hard lesson to learn. Yeah. And it's especially exacerbated by emotion. Mm-hmm. And you're in a conversation of of heightened emotion. We might just be thinking about our points and how we want to rebut, but really working to hear what the other party is trying to say is a fundamental piece. And further to that, this is in, when we're talking about engagement with our clients, as well as with uh, cooperating partners, asking good questions. Are we asking enough questions to fully understand the breadth of the situation? As a listing agent, for example, if we went back to the first scenario we were talking about and I were saying, you know, what's the frustration that makes me not want to show a listing to a buyer when the agent isn't able to participate? Maybe my concern is they might not even be qualified. If I asked a few more questions to the cooperating agent, I might feel satisfied with their responses and understand that actually it's in everybody's best interest to allow the clients to just view the home, for example, just to use that example, but really making sure that we're going deep in questions. And that also relates to, you know, we may have qualifying conversations with clients and then we may want to circle back actually. If time has passed and the result that we were hoping for hasn't come to fruition, we might need to ask some more questions. Something might've changed. Handling conflicts with diplomacy is obviously a critical component of good communication. Ensuring that, and I've really taken this piece to heart, everything I communicate in writing to anyone, what would I look and feel like? What would it look and feel like if that was in front of a panel of arbitrators at the board? What would that look and feel like if that was in a lawyer's office? In a newspaper. In a newspaper, the the newspaper headline article. And so really being careful, and I think about that as it relates to communications and texts, as well as posts on social media. You know, we've all been in or engaging in debate. I'm not one to engage in debate. I don't look for fights. But all of those scenarios where, you know, you think about diplomacy and handling conflicts with diplomacy. In addition to really refraining, another piece to great communication is also refraining from gossip refraining from speaking disparagingly about other people you know i feel like that's also relates very closely to a mindset piece i mean we've done a conscious effort on our team and in the different companies where we used to um when we had retreats and um you know dinners out and and follow-up we spent a lot of time venting and Mm -hmm. complaining 
Yes. You know, I, I remember when you brought that forward being like, we want to change that. Like, yes. It's a waste. It's it's a waste of energy and it doesn't help them. It doesn't help us. No. Um, and it's not creating the right tools. Yes. The gossip wasn't good. The gossip wasn't good. And, you know, it's a real truth that, you know, if you need to be talking about other people, I think it's an opportunity to have a good card look at yourself on like what's missing in your life that the focus of every conversation is gossip about another person. Thinking about effective communication and avoiding of conflicts, we just, you know, there is something to be said in communications at a professional level to avoid a discussion of controversial topics. I mean, we don't really want to wade into those waters at a professional level and get combative. There are a plethora of places where people are coming from. Really, nobody wants to be scolded you know, pontificated to by another individual who feels like they kind of know it all. And if you're not following their course of action, you know, you're lesser than. And I, 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 it's not what you were on task to do, right? Like if you're working with a client to purchase a property and you're perfect for them, you get the job done. And then you bring up politics and you're on one's a Republican, one's a Democrat, you might completely disengage and get off course. Mm -hmm. You're not going to fix the political landscape and neither of you helped each other. And more so, I think about that we've gotten into a place in society where we're so siloed as people. Like I know that, that we've seen countless documentaries and studies around that social media algorithms are feeding you what you want to see and what you want to hear. And in fact, the world is very diverse and there's lots of different perspectives and opinions. And just because a perspective or opinion doesn't align with you so much, it's just as long as we all sort of have a, for me, I know my litmus test is if we have a fundamental belief in like sort of equality and like basic human rights we can have lots of difference and I welcome difference. Actually, I think it's an opportunity, but when we're thinking about effective communication in business, there is a layer of importance to maintaining neutrality around those controversial topics and not engaging in those conversations of debate. I find them very inappropriate when I see them in public forums on rather professional forums, you know, you can have your opinion and I am super opinionated. I will totally acknowledge that. And also I don't really want to, stuff my opinion down somebody else's throat. It's inappropriate. And another sort of last statement around constructive communication is offering positive feedback. So, you know, the opportunity that you highlighted in your exchange with this agent where they acknowledged that they they were a little bit crunchy and there's opportunities to say, you know, here's where I might have been able to do better or in this scenario, here's how this landed for me when you said when you said this. You know, it, it really made me feel like X, Y, Z. So offering some some positive feedback in those regards. So much. So much to learn. Yeah, and it keeps changing. But yeah. um, I think my leaving statement here in my close would be, I visualize communication in the perfect world if you could break bread with someone mm -hmm. that you have conflict or want to do something with. Um, it'd be very hard to spend dinner with that person and learn. You're naturally going to ask them questions and learn about them and why they operate the way they do. And you would leave that dinner, even if it was, you know, over something very crunchy with respect and far closer to a resolution. Yes. So that's highly unlikely in most situations. Mm -hmm. But the next thing is, could you get face-to-face? -face? Yeah. And face-to-face, -face, again, is a wonderful way of resolving things and breaking things down. Yes. Then the next step, in my opinion, to that is, can you get on the phone? Yes. Right? Then kind of like email and text are the next level down. But I think way too many professionals, and I've seen this shift in the last, you know, five years, 
are trying to negotiate, are trying to resolve conflict, are trying to, um, you know, get that done with text. Yes. And then imagine, you know, a couple of years ago, they used to actually text it and write it out. And now they're speaking into the phone. So the, the, the language is completely different and it's abrupt. And, you know, it's, it's in my opinion, always try and level up. What's the best form of communication you can utilize and it will help you. I totally agree. Thank you, partner. Thank you, everyone.